Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you have joined me. This is episode 132. Today I am talking with Diane Keach. Diane Keach lives in Kansas City, Missouri, and she leads Safe Child Protection Consulting. SAFE is an acronym, and she's going to explain that to us as we move along through this podcast, but she's the owner and lead consultant for SAFE, Child Protective Consulting, and this is going to be a wonderful podcast. I'm looking forward to talking to her, and we're going to learn a lot, not just about Diane and what she's doing, but we're going to be informed as far as the pandemic problem that we have among our youth in America, and Diane is doing a good work. Diane, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be on your podcast today. You are welcome. You have 30 years experience advocating for at-risk children. Now, you sound like you are about 35 years old, so I assume you've been doing this since you were five, (laughs) Uh, but you you have uh, a lot of experience. So, Diane, tell me a little bit about your life. Uh, You personally, and of course, interweave into that. Uh, why you got into child uh, welfare work? Well, it's <clears throat> it's interesting to me to observe God's wonderful providence um, in arranging my life. He obviously does a way better job than we could ever envision. Um, Agreed. I was conceived in a mental hospital, uh, born to two parents who had paranoid paranoia schizophrenia. Excuse me, uh, say that again. You were conceived where? In a mental hospital. Okay, where was this? This was in Pueblo, Colorado. Both of my parents were in a mental hospital for paranoid schizophrenia. Okay. And um, somehow or other, they escaped the hospital with me somehow. And um, so I went to live with my parents the first couple months of my life. However... I was abused and neglected in that home, and during a violent dispute between my parents, I was injured and placed in foster care at the age of nine months. Wow. So I lived in a foster home from the age of nine months to almost two years old. Were your parents married? Yes, they did get married after they left the mental hospital. They got married and then took me home with them. Wow, Uh, this sounds like a... uh movie script escape from the mental hospital with with our baby i can i could see it as you were sharing that i'm sure it it pretty i i have met my birth family they're wonderful people i had the great um gift of meeting both my parents before they passed away and truly they were um my mother was always kind of escaping and trying to avoid child protection. I have five other older siblings that had had contact with child protection previously. So they knew my mother and um, they had had quite a bit of history with her before I was born. So being in foster care yourself, uh, were you adopted? Did someone adopt you? Yes, I was adopted at three. Um, by the time I was three years old, um my adopted parents were the fifth set of parents I had had. Huh. Okay. And so you would, and then this is really the uh, formation as far as your birth as a teenager, or when did you decide that you wanted to get into 
uh, child welfare, foster care, adoption, and everything that you're doing now? I have to say that it chose me. I um, I was an, an unattached child, or what they call a reactive attachment disorder child throughout my formative years. Um, and the Lord saved me just he reached down and grabbed me at the age of 12 and gave me a new heart and healed me from being a reactive attachment disorder child. And so I started embarking on this great journey with the Lord at age 12, and I always wanted to be a missionary. I never, ever thought that I would be in America. I always thought I'd be in Africa or somewhere else, you know, sharing the gospel in another land. And because, what were the circ, what were the circumstances around uh, salvation? Were you your parents were, were your adopted parents? Were they Christians? Did they take you to the church, or was this something that happened outside of a local body? My mother grew up Catholic, and my dad grew up Lutheran, but neither of them were practicing Christians or attended church. However, the only thing that I liked about my mom when I was growing up is that she read Bible stories to me. And so that was the only time that I would sit still or behave or obey her was in order to read Bible, listen to the Bible story. She had a beautiful Bible story book with beautiful art and that I loved that. And so we weren't without Christian influence in my home, but my parents at that time were not Christians. I was the first Christian in our home. Um, So what happened is I had gotten in a gang fight in my um, middle school Um, and the principal, the vice principal brought me into his office and said, I'm not going to call your parents, but I am going to tell you about Jesus. Wow. And so I heard the gospel for the first time from my vice principal after being in a gang fight. I am talking with Diane Keach. I have show notes here, episode 132. There's information here about Diane. You can get on her website. You can learn a lot more about her, but she's the owner and lead consultant for SAFE, Safe Child Protection or Protective Consulting. And so after you became a believer, you wanted to become a missionary. And then when did this bend in another direction and head head you toward child welfare? I have to say that child welfare pursued me. I did not pursue it. Um, I got a degree in comparative cultures um, to be a missiological anthropologist. And so I was kind of waiting for the next step where I was going to be called to. I had had worked in orphanages on the border of of, um, United States and Mexico. So I had done that work since I was about 18. I had been going back and forth to either Tijuana or um, El Paso and working in orphanages. So I'm, I enjoyed that, but I didn't know, I didn't know if that was what I was going to do or not. Um, but every step of the way, someone from child welfare would recruit me and ask me to come work for them. And so that's actually what happened. I, was um, in Kansas City at the time working at City Union Mission as a drug counselor and therapist for the the um, homeless shelter when I got a call from a friend recruiting me to work in the Wyandotte County Juvenile Court in Kansas City, Kansas, where I started my 17-year um, stint as a juvenile court services officer working with foster kids. So, so you were born in Pueblo, Yes, uh, you did a lot, lot of work uh, in the Mexico uh, around the border of Mexico, and then you moved to Missouri. Are those the big three geographical 
changes in your life? Oh, no. My dad was in the Air Force. Um, I was adopted in Colorado Springs, actually. And then um, we lived with my grandma and... I love Colorado Springs. By oh, the way. me too. It's my favorite city. I love that city. And so we moved around a lot, but I actually grew up the most of my years in Southern California in a little town called Moreno Valley, which was previously Sunnymead. And so I, that's how I kind of learned my Spanish and had opportunities to go south to the to the border. I did my comparative cultures at Concordia University, Irvine, California. So I was in California for 14 years. My all of my all of my growing up years basically was in California. You miss SoCal? Um, you know what? I don't, believe it or not. Um, Kansas City, Missouri is a is a wonderful city and it's everything is so easy here and it's so cheap to live here. The people are so nice. Um, I do get to the beach once a year, though. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say in January when it's five degrees, do you miss? <laughs> oh yeah, then I get I get out to either on a cruise <laughs> or to California. I do go somewhere in the winter once a year. Yes. Diane Keach is the owner and lead consultant for Safe Child Protective Consulting. Diane, let's jump into this. What is Safe? S A F E. Okay, so Safe stands for Safety Analysis follow-up and empowerment. These are the keys to the child protection work um, that I learned in Wyandotte County. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of why that's important. So I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my history with child protection. I worked for a judge for almost 17 years who, and I did investigations for him on every child who was under his jurisdiction. And so that would could mean children still living in their homes, but being involved with the system and being close to being placed in foster care. That's called family preservation. Or I could I had foster care cases, um, some adoption cases. And because I was the only Spanish-speaking officer, I also did some juvenile offender work where I worked with Spanish-speaking um, juvenile um, offenders who have broken the law. Um, But mostly what I did is I worked with foster care. And what I discovered during my 17 years is that um, the state in those 17 years was attempting to reduce their foster care numbers. So instead of placing children in foster care when kids are in danger, they were leaving them in their homes um, to be abused over and over and over again. So by the time these children actually got into foster care, usually brought in by the police, not by social services, these children were super damaged. Um, And the window to help um, rehabilitate them was very, very small. Because instead of getting, instead of helping these children when they were sometimes newborns or very small, where there was a real good Um, opportunity to um, help these children, that window was shut. And then these children were coming into foster care, you know, past seven, eight, nine years old. By this time, they'd had so many incidents of repeat maltreatment that they were mentally ill um, and very damaged and broken children. And at that, you know, by that time, foster parents are like, 
I don't really want a nine-year-old who's going to burn down my house. I don't really want, right. you know, a child who's going to cause all these trouble. So it, it actually was aggravating the foster care system because um, those are very difficult children to place. So, um, so the big one of the biggest problems in America right now is the message that foster care is bad and we have to reduce foster care. That is simply not the truth. The truth is, is most foster parents are Christians. Most foster parents are Christians. And foster care, while there are problems in foster care, the vast majority of foster care placements are good. And children who are being abused and neglected should be protected and not left in their homes to be abused and neglected over and over. I agree. How do you guard your heart uh, from controlling sadness to where you're just discouraged when you look out and see these stories or the other side of that just become angry because of what's happening to these children i mean you said a couple of times that it called you this ministry that you're doing it called you and i believe that you have to be called because of what you're going into you have to be a certain kind of person but that being said uh, how do you guard yourself from being discouraged or angry at just the overwhelming, I mean, the stories that you've seen, I can't even begin to imagine what you have seen. That's an awesome question. And thank you for asking that, Rick. Um, honestly, um, currently, this is a very significant question for me because my current projects include reviewing child deaths. So there are two very famous cases in Kansas that I'm involved in currently, one is Adrian Jones, who was murdered and fed to the pigs. And the other was a child who was murdered and encased in concrete. So these how, stories how have, old was how old was Adrian? Adrian was seven. Wow. When he was murdered and fed to the pigs. But he'd had um contact with child welfare every single year of his life before he was murdered. So how do you guard how do you guard your heart? So here is the situation. This is how this has been a long journey for me. God, God is so good. Um, in the beginning, I had a lot of power to protect children. So I saw a lot of trauma. But when people have power to do the right thing, there's less trauma, right? If you're right. a firefighter right. and you go in and you have the power to put out the fire, you feel good, even though that house is decimated, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but if you're a firefighter and you can't put out the fire, right, and now other, there's greater damage, then that's where the trauma comes. And so in the beginning, I had a lot of power to protect kids. But as as child welfare changed and this kind of sickness kind of came into child welfare where we, you know, judges didn't want to put kids in foster care either, um, I started to get really angry at the Lord, um, very depressed, and crying out to him, why, why do you let these children die? Why are you letting these kids being abused over and over and over again? And honestly, God has just encouraged me in his word through especially the Psalms um, that the, the this life is so not eternal and that there is an eternal, an eternality of this of our lives that's so that's going to go on forever so these light and momentary afflictions that we suffer right today 
they really are light and momentary afflictions compared to the great glory that God has for us in the future. The two primary things then would be eternity and the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Right. He's, he's working his plan. You do and have his to, justice. And his justice. His, you, you do have to God become. is going to be just. I mean, at the end, um, those who are responsible for the, the murder of these children, they're either going to be covered by the blood of Christ, and I pray for that, or they're going to meet a just reward. And that gives me great comfort. There's a justice beyond this world. And um and that's you know, what I, that's what Peter told I mean that's what Peter told us in Second Peter that Christ kept committed himself to him who judges justly. And you have to do that. I, I I say that I live on the underbelly of Christianity, that place where most people don't go. That's the place where you live as well. It's the dark side of our life. Most Christians right. live on the, the sunny side. But for those of us who work on this side, we see every horrific story plus the kitchen sink. And if you exactly. aren't careful, your mind can go into some bad places. I appreciate that. It's, it's an encouraging word to all of us. I mean, the justice right. of God, he's not blind to what's going on. The, right. so, the sovereignty of God, he is contr- uh, controlling everything, but also like it, the eternity piece as well, because what you uh, reference from Second Corinthians, uh, as our life is wasting away, we're being renewed day by day, that this is a light affliction. Uh, and once we have that perspective, it does help, because if you're not called to this kind of ministry, you can quickly become overwhelmed in right. it. As I tell my students in my mastermind program, you really have to guard your heart, because every story is sad. When right. I look at, uh, so the acronym SAFE is Safety Analysis Follow-Up Empowerment. When I look at these words on paper, they seem logical to me and chronological, uh, safety, right. safety first. Uh, that would be the uh, most important thing in the beginning, uh, the safety of the kids. And then analysis. And I'm making assumptions here, so you can fill in the blanks when I'm done but or, or, or tweak me. But uh, safety first. And then analysis, uh, what's going on? Let's survey the scene, figure out what's happening. And then the F is follow-up. Uh, that's the ongoing care part, and then the E is empowerment. Uh, we want these uh, children, parents, uh, to be empowered to be able to do what God has called them to do. Is that close? That is so close, and that just proves my point that child protection is common sense. Um, so, what happens? <laughs> yes, what's it happening? Is. Thank God. What's for that. happening right now? And I really want you and your listeners to have kind of a knowledge of what's going on in our country as far as child protection. Post-modern humanistic thought has so, um, has so, uh, I want to say has so influenced child welfare that they are unable anymore, in my opinion, to keep children safe. And the reason why is there's no standards. There's no right and wrong. They don't believe that there's truth. They change the definition of words. So right now in child protection, the definition of safety is bonding. So one of the reasons why Evan What does um, that mean? So one of the reasons why Evan Brewer died, he was encased in concrete, 
is because when the worker went to the home, their definition of safety was bondedness, and that child was bonded to his mom. So therefore, he was safe. But hmm. she was using methamphetamines and marijuana and prescription drugs, and they didn't ask for one UA or drug test. They did not drug test her. Yes, that's handcuffing a child to an addict. Exactly. That's exactly what's happening. And that's happening all across America because they don't want to put kids in foster care. So they've changed, they've redefined safety to be if a parent is bonded to their child. If there's a bond, the only way children get into foster care is either police bring them in or the child wants to come in. Because if a child appears bonded to the parent, that child is going to stay in the home, even if they're being abused. So we're talking about humanistic pragmatism. Yes. We don't know how to fix this problem, and so we just keep changing the changing the rules to get exactly. it's, it's damage control, best case scenario, the lesser exactly. of two lesser of two evils. Right. Talk to me about the church. How has the church been influenced by this postmodern uh, humanistic, relativistic? to each his own worldview, have we been affected? Have we been marginalized, or or are you encouraged by what you see happening in the church? You said earlier that uh, Christians do a lot of foster care, and they do, and so are you generally encouraged or discouraged, or where are we at with the church in this problem? Well, I will be honest with you. The the leaders that I have spoken, the Christian leaders— um, and I've spoken to several national Christian leaders um, who work in this field. Most of them have bought in to this postmodern humanism. And the reason why is because Christians were um, marginalized out of child welfare probably for 40, at least 40, maybe 50 years or more. And so Christians in the last uh, real decade are really getting back into child welfare, but they're allowing child welfare to instruct them on, because it's so complicated, right? I mean, child welfare is Mm -hmm. super complicated. So if you are a Christian leader and you're like, hey, we want to jump in, we want to support and serve you, you have to be humble and let them teach you everything that's going on. Well, unfortunately, that also means they're adopting some postmodern humanism, you know, pragmatism um, things. And so, almost all the leaders are telling me the same things that child welfare is saying. There's no way to know if children are being abused. We should be reducing foster care. Foster care is bad. Um, The state is coercive. Um, Children are just coming into foster care because they're poor. Um, I hear the same exact things from Christian leaders as I'm hearing from child welfare. And that and that is very sad to me. But on the other hand, I'm super excited because this is the number one opportunity that the church has in America for evangelism. And I, I want to talk a little bit about what churches can do. Go ahead. Okay, so the media and the the basic basically everyone wants to tell you that the problem is foster care i am telling you the problem is not foster care the problem is children are dying in their homes to prevent foster care and what the church can do is go after the the poor and the lost um it is a great opportunity for evangelism you know one of the 
one of the scriptures that really convicts me is the Ezekiel 16 says, now this was the sign, this was the sin of Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, and they did not take care of the poor and the needy. That gets me every time. Mm. And so God is calling the church to go after the poor and the needy. And I believe, especially, um, those who are involved with counseling services, we have the greatest opportunity of our generation to go after those who are substance users, the domestic violent, those who are caught up in either victims of domestic violence or batterers, um, anxiety, depression, those kind of mental health issues, and also prisoners or um, those coming in and out of jail. If we targeted those groups those are the those are where most all child welfare issues um, happen. So parents who are using substances, parents who are involved with domestic violence, parents who have s- severe mental health issues, and those who are in and out of jail, those those constitute the parents who are most likely going to have children involved in child welfare. I am talking with Diane Keach. This is episode one hundred and thirty-two. Diane Keach is the lead consultant. She has her own LLC called Safe Child Protective Consulting. Diane, what do you do, like the top two or three things that you do to help bring resolution to this enormous problem that you're talking about? So what does Safe Child Protection Consulting, what do you do? Two or three things. Okay. The first thing I do is I review child deaths. And the reason I do that is to expose them to the community so that there could be legislative change to strengthen child protection. What does exposure mean? What do you do? So I review child deaths for the media, and then they publish my opinions in the newspapers. And then, Very good. And then we work with legislators to get change to, to support better child protection practices in our state. So that's the first thing I do. A former director at the Kansas Department of Children and Families Prevention Protection Services, uh, you've had a lot of governmental civil work. Uh, it, that sounds like the Lord's favor on you in the past to give you a foothold or an open door to be. You're you're like a liaison. Yes, I between the the Christian community and our culture, but you're bringing a Christocentric message to it. You, you seem unique to me, but I imagine there are other people like you. But you, 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 you sound more like an anomaly than, than, than the majority. The majority of um, people that I've worked with in child welfare, um, for the most part, there are some Christians, but like I said, most of them have adopted a humanistic, um, postmodern worldview. Um, and so I would say I'm probably one of the only reformed Christians. That I've ever, that I in this field, I've not met any other reformed Christians in this field. What would you say? We got just a couple minutes left here. If if you were talking to a church group, and you wanted to give them a succinct, amazing message, what would you want them to walk away with? Encourage to the body of Christ. Believe it or not, I would like to encourage the body of Christ to keep kids safe within the church. So child abuse is not just happening outside the church. It's also happening in the church. So I would encourage every church to be educated on how to prevent child abuse, 
how to create a safe place for kids in your church, how to be child-focused in your counseling. If you're counseling adults in your church right now who have substance abuse, mental health, or domestic violence, you have kids who are at risk for abuse and neglect in your church. So you need— Does Safe Consulting do this? Do you work with churches to help envision them? Because you're right. The problems that you've been talking about are are cultural. They are pandemic. But then within that, we have a big church problem within the walls of our church. And so you go on site and you talk with leadership teams and envision churches with safe consulting? Yes, and I I would like to assist churches in developing policies and procedures. How do you address domestic violence in your church? Um, How do you address, you need policies and procedures in place if there's a child sexual abuse disclosure? Um, Churches should be a safe place for children. Um, if, If we're protecting adults in our church and not children, Uh, I fear that we will not have the favor of God on our churches. All right, we have to wrap up here, but I'm going to make an appeal uh, for all of you pastors, elders, deacons, small group leaders, church leadership in general. I would love for you to get in touch with Diane Keach. You can do that. Uh, Go to episode 132 and contact her because if your church is not uh, up to speed on protecting the children diane has a lot of information and she can offer you the help that you need so will you do that diane keats safe child protection consulting diane thank you so much for joining me for this podcast thank you so much for having me it's a joy to speak with you today you have been listening to life over coffee with rick thomas If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.